part two chapters one and two of perkins the faker a travesty on reincarnation by edward s van zyle this librivox recording is in the public domain part two how chopin came to remsen there cometh evil to my house and none of ye have wit to help me know what the great gods portend sending me this the light of asia chapter one chopin's opus forty seven it brings an instinct from some other sphere for its fine senses are familiar all and with the unconscious habit of a dream it calls and they obey n p willis it has been with the greatest reluctance that i have agreed to submit to the public all the details so far as they are known to me of my husband's seemingly miraculous change from an average man into a genius poor tom he was so happy as a phlegmatic well-balanced commonplace lawyer and clubman devoted to his wife his profession and his friends but now alas his amazing eccentricities demand from me a presentation of his case that shall change censure into sympathy and malicious gossip into either silence or truth i am forced to admit at the outset that tom is justified in attributing his present predicament to my own fondness for music he had protested gently but firmly against the series of musicals that i had planned to give last season they'll be an awful nuisance my dear he had remarked gloomily gazing at me appealingly across the table at which we were dining en tete-a-tete why not substitute bridge whist in place of the music why you will insist on asking a crowd of people who don't care a rap for anything but ragtime to listen to your high-priced soloists a musical winifred is both expensive and tiresome what a philistine you are tom i exclaimed protestingly knowing however that my dear old pachyderm would not wince at the epithet i had hurled at him across the board tom's vocabulary is not large and possesses a legal rather than a biblical flavour what's a philistine he asked indifferently if it's a fellow who objects to inviting a lot of people that he doesn't like to listen to a lot of playing and singing that they don't like well then i'm in but what's the use of my getting out an injunction if you've made up your mind to give these musicals winifred i might as well quash my appeal i've no standing in this court one of the advantages of living with a man for ten years is that one is eventually confronted by a most fascinating problem why did i marry him is the question that adds a keen zest to existence we derive a new interest in life from the hope that the future may provide us with an answer to this query i can remember now to my sorrow that i gazed across the table at tom's heavy immobile face and longed for some radical perhaps supernatural change in the man that should render him more congenial to me more sympathetic less practical matter-of-fact commonplace a moment later i felt ashamed of myself for the disloyalty of my wish it may be that subsequent events were preordained as a punishment to me for the internal discontent to which i had temporarily succumbed tom doesn't look quite fat my dear remarked mrs jack van corlear to me early in the evening of my first and last musical is he working too hard jack tells me that tom has been made counsel for the pepper and salt trust it's not that i answered lightly glancing at tom and noting the unusual pallor of his too fleshy face he's expecting an evening of torture you know he hates music he can't tell a nocturne from a ballad and they both torment him 
but he's an awfully good fellow isn't he see he's trying to talk to signor torino i hope he'll remember that verdi didn't write lohengrin i've been coaching tom for several days but it's hard my dear mrs jack to make a man who doesn't play or sing a note remember that the moonlight sonata is not from gounod's faust and that it's bad form to ask mademoiselle vanoni if she admires florodora my duties as hostess and the pronounced success of the earlier numbers of my programme led me presently to forget tom's existence he had been cruelly unjust to my guests in asserting that they would prefer ragtime to the classics the applause that had rewarded the efforts of both torino and vanoni had been spontaneous and genuine signorina molatti had created an actual fur with her violin solo intensified no doubt by her marvellous beauty it was molatti's success that presently recalled tom to my reluctant consciousness as the dark-eyed fervid young woman responded smilingly to an insistent encore i caught a glimpse of my unimpressionable husband standing erect at the rear of the crowded music-room and watching the girl's every movement with eyes alight with interest and approval i had not seen his unresponsive countenance so animated before in years mrs jack van corlear had followed my glance and a mischievous smile was in her face as she leaned toward me perhaps tom is more musical than you imagine my dear she whispered maliciously do you think it's the violin i returned laughingly ashamed of the feeling of annoyance that her playful pinprick had given me jealous of tom the idea was too absurd i had so often wished to be but his devotion to me had always been chronic and incurable it's really bad form i had once said to him your indifference to other women tom causes comment overemphasis is always vulgar you underscore our conjugal bliss my dear boy in a way that has become a kind of silent reproach to other people you must really have a mild flirtation now and then tom it seemed to me that the vivacious molatti had noted tom's too apparent enthusiasm for she smiled and nodded to him as she made ready to coax her cremona into giving her silent auditors new proof of her most amazing genius i a lover of music had been carried into unknown blissful realms by the magic of her bow my whole being throbbing with the joy of strange weird harmonies that lured my errant soul away from earth away from my duties as a hostess my worries as a wife i came back to my music-room with a thump something unusual out of the common was taking place but at first i could not concentrate my faculties in a way to put me in touch with my environment presently i realized that signorina molatti had left the dais and could i believe my senses that tom brazenly nonchalantly before the gaze of two hundred wondering eyes had seated himself at the piano what's the matter with him whispered mrs van corlear to me in an awestruck tone wait i answered irrelevantly maybe he won't do it do what she returned almost hysterically i don't know i gasped and the thought flashed through my mind that possibly tom had been drinking there lay the hush of expectancy on the astonished throng here and there furtive glances were cast at my programme cards in search of tom's name on a little list made up wholly of world-famous artists but the large majority of my guests knew as well as i that tom had never touched a piano in his life that his ignorance of music was as pronounced as his detestation of it 
but he might have been a paderewski in his total absence of all awkwardness or self-consciousness as he sat motionless at the instrument for a moment coolly surveying us all in very truth like a master musician sure of himself and rejoicing in the delight that he was about to vouchsafe to his auditors i cannot recall now without a shudder the sensation that cut through my every nerve as tom raised his large pudgy hands over the keyboard his small grey eyes turned toward the ceiling just above my throbbing head he looked at that instant like the very incarnation of philistinism poised to hurl down destruction upon the centre of all harmonies it's revenge i groaned under my breath and felt mrs jack's cold hand creep into mine down came the paws of nemesis and lo the injustice that i had done to tom was revealed to me his touch was masterly i could not have been more amazed that i seen an elephant threading a needle the whole episode was strangely blended of the uncanny and realistic i found myself noting the angle at which tom held his chin he always raised it thus when his man shaped him his head thrown back and his eyes half closed then gradually it dawned on me that i was taking keen delight in his rendition of that marvellous ballad in a flat major that chopin dedicated to mademoiselle de noailles there is nothing more thoroughly chopinesque in all the master's works than this perfect exposition of the refined in art tom's rendering of the lovely theme in f major one of the most delicate in the world of music thrilled me with startled admiration but a chill came over me what would he do with the section in c sharp minor with its inverted dominant pedal in the right hand while the left is carrying on the theme without both skill and passion on the part of the performer the interpretation of this passage is certain to be commonplace but hardly had this doubt assailed me when i knew that tom had triumphed over every obstacle of technique and temperament that he was approaching the harmonic grandeur of the finale with the poise and power of genius in full control of itself and its medium i have never fainted swooning went out of fashion long before my time and i am devoted to the modern cult of self-control but if it hadn't been for mrs jack who is really fond of me at times i think that the last bar of tom's opus forty seven would have seen my finish the room had begun to whirl in a circle like a merry-go-round in evening dress when she steadied me by whispering it's all right my dear tom wins by four lengths well in hand i came to myself in the very centre of a storm of applause our guests had forgotten the conventionalities pertaining to a well-ordered musical the men were on their feet cheering the women waved bands and handkerchiefs and pelted tom with violets and roses the poor fellow sat at the piano in a half-dazed condition a bunch of flowers deftly thrown struck him on the forehead and he put his gifted hand to his brow as if he had just been recalled to consciousness encore encore cried our guests torino was gesticulating frantically while mademoiselle vanoni and signorina molatti smiled and clapped their hands in exaggerated ecstasy i was worried by the expression that had come into tom's face and made my way quickly toward the piano aren't you well my dear i asked bending toward him while the uproar behind me decreased a bit what have i been doing winifred he asked sheepishly like one who wakens from a dream get one of your damned dagos to sing will you i've got to have a drink or die 
standing erect abruptly tom cast a defiant glance at the chattering throng behind me and hurriedly made his way through a side door from the music-room as i turned away from the piano i saw that signorina molatti's eyes were fixed upon his retreating figure with an expression that my worldly wisdom could not interpret there was more of wonder than of admiration in her gaze a gleam of questioning and longing that might it seemed to me readily flame into hot anger chapter two remsen confronts a mystery from memories that come not and go not like music once heard by an ear that cannot forget or reclaim it a something so shy it would shame it to make it a show james russell lowell after saying good-night to the last of my guests who had expressed regret at the rumour that my husband was seriously indisposed i hurried to the smoking-room having learned that tom had fled thither as a refuge from the curious and the congratulatory as i came upon him he was alternately puffing a cigar and sipping a brandy and soda on the instant the conflicting emotions that had beset me during the evening became a wave of anger sweeping over me with irresistible force why have you deceived me tom remsen i cried sinking into a chair and resting my aching head against its back as i scanned his pale weary countenance attentively you have always pretended that you had no knowledge of music i have heard you say that you could not whistle even a bar of yankee doodle correctly what a poseur you have been and to-night in a vulgar theatrical way you suddenly exhibit the most astonishing talent there is not an amateur in the world tom who can interpret chopin with such sympathy such perfection of technique such reserved power as you displayed this evening you have placed me in a ridiculous position and i can't conceive of any reasonable motive for your unnatural reticence why tom answer me why have you concealed from me the fact that you are an accomplished yes a brilliant musician think of all the pleasure that we have lost in the last ten years by your deception and falsehoods for that's what they were tom my voice broke a little and i felt the tears creeping toward my eyes you have been cruel tom knowing my passionate love for music why did you choose to hide a talent that would have drawn us so close together and your revelation it was the very refinement of brutality tom remsen to place me in such an awkward attitude how could i explain my ignorance of your genius to our friends they must consider me either a fool or a liar as for what they think of you tom stop it winifred cried my husband hoarsely putting up a hand protestingly i've had enough i can't stand anything more to-night if i tried to tell you the truth you wouldn't believe it so you'd better leave me i'll smoke another cigar i'll never get to sleep again i fear his last words sounded like a groan my mood was softened by its evident distress do try to tell me the truth tom i said gently i'll believe what you say there's a difference between positive and negative lying i don't think you'd tell me a deliberate falsehood tom there was something in his appearance at this moment that suggested to me a wounded animal at bay presently he lighted a fresh cigar and gazing at me steadily said the cold hard truth is this winifred i never touched the keys of a piano in my life until an hour ago i remember being drawn irresistibly to the instrument what happened afterward i don't know the first thing that i can recall was being hit in the head with some fool woman's bouquet 
i remember saying no flowers please in a silly kind of way but what it all meant i didn't know and i don't know now do you i sat speechless gazing at tom in amazement he had never in the twelve years of our betrothal and marriage told me an untruth i had often caught myself envying women whose husbands spiced the realism of domestic life with a romantic tale now and again i know a woman who derives great intellectual enjoyment from cross-questioning her lesser half every twenty-four hours in an effort to prove that nature designed her for a clever detective she would have drooped and died had she married tom as i watched his honest face pale now and careworn i realized that i was confronted by two explanations of the present crisis either one of which was inconceivable tom had told me a deliberate lie or a miracle to use an unscientific word had been wrought through forces the existence of which i had always denied no tom i don't know what it means i answered presently how did you happen to choose a chopin ballad for your debut i had not intended to hurt the poor fellow's feelings but the change in his expression from weariness to wonderment filled me with remorse i didn't choose anything he muttered reproachfully if i made an ass of myself winifred i was not responsible what the deuce did i do you haven't told me and i don't know by an effort of will i controlled the nervous chill that was threatening me and said quietly tom you played chopin's ballad number three opus forty seven in a way that would have satisfied chopin himself no performer living could have equalled your rendition it was masterly tom's mouth fell open in amazement he closed it over a brandy and soda i can't believe it he cried setting down his glass and gazing at the smoke curling up from his cigar why winifred the thing's absurd i never heard the what do you call it in my life and if i listened to it every day for a year i couldn't play it i couldn't even whistle it i laughed aloud hysterically there was a ludicrous side to the situation despite its uncanny features what are you laughing at winifred demanded tom angrily is there anything funny about all this it seems if i can believe what you say that i made a kind of pianola of myself without knowing it is that a joke i tell you winifred it's paresis or something worse maybe i'll rob a bank next and when i'm bailed out i suppose i'll find you on a broad grin i was too near the verge of nervous collapse to repress the feeling of unreasonable annoyance that came over me at tom's words i think you're very unjust tom i exclaimed with great lack of judgment unjust he echoed petulantly unjust to whom to what you're unjust to chopin i answered hotly realizing that i was talking in a distinctly childish way playing one of his masterpieces is not quite like robbing a bank why not he snapped if i don't know how to play it i certainly robbed those fool women of their flowers didn't i they pelted me with bouquets as if i were a boy wonder or a long-haired bang the keys and i don't know the soft pedal from the key of e i wouldn't do chopin an injustice he's dead isn't he but you mustn't do me an injustice winifred i can't stand anything more to-night my heart seemed to come into my throat with a sob and i drew my chair close to tom's and took his cold hand in mine i'm sorry tom i didn't mean to hurt your feelings but i've been sorely tried you must admit i'm not quite myself i fear 
tom turned quickly and gazed squarely into my eyes don't you worry winifred you're yourself all right but who the dickens am i if i'm tom remsen i can't play chopin and you say i did play chopin i don't say i didn't but how did i do it tom remsen couldn't do it look at my hands winifred could my fingers knock a pianissimo out of a minor chord if that's what that fellow chopin does i tell you it's queer and i don't like it a well-defined shudder shook tom's heavy frame and his hand as it rested in mine trembled perceptibly his voice had sunk to a whisper as he asked do you think it possible winifred i was hypnotized winifred i never took any stock in hypnotism but there may be something in it that signor torino has got a queer eye i'm sure i don't know what to think tom i admitted reluctantly by abandoning the theory that tom had deceived me for a dozen years i was plunged into a tempestuous sea of mystery and conjecture but come my dear boy you are fagged out we'll talk it over in the morning perhaps our minds will be clearer after a few hours sleep i couldn't sleep now he returned nervously glancing at his watch don't go yet winifred it's only two o'clock we sat silent for a time hand clasped in hand like a youth and maiden awed by a sudden realization of the marvellous mysteries of existence presently tom spoke again and i felt that it was a lawyer in full control of his nerves who questioned me did i look uh dazed or queer when i went to the piano my dear no tom i answered after a pause you you now don't think me flippant you look just as you do when you're being shaved before all those people he gasped what do you mean winifred your chin was up in the air tom and your head was thrown back but you didn't see any lather he asked foolishly don't be silly tom i cried petulantly but i had done him another injustice he had not intended to be jocose and then what did i do he asked eagerly and then you played that ballad with the inspiration of genius and the technique of a master it stumps me he muttered winifred is there anything about this fellow chopin in the library any books about him yes tom several but you'd better not look at them to-night if at all perhaps to-morrow you won't care to tom's heavy features assumed their most stubborn aspect he stood erect still holding my hand and i was forced to rise come with me winifred i'm going to solve this mystery before i sleep even if it takes two days come without further protest i accompanied tom to the library End of part two chapters one and two